Hello, and welcome to episode 34 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Mati, and this week I'm doing a solo episode. So no guest today. Instead, it's just me talking into the void and hoping that at least, you know, maybe three people will listen. I haven't done a solo episode in a while, but I thought that it would be fitting this week because last Sunday I actually did a movie marathon. I went to my local AMC theaters and I saw three movies back to back to back. So while the rest of the world was doing productive things from roughly 12 to 9, I was just sitting in a theater. And for those of you who have never had this experience, congratulations, you're a normal functioning human being. But it actually was just a blast. I, I, I had enough time between showings to walk around outside, grab some food, you know, take a strategic bathroom break. And for each of the three showings, I had a different friend join me. So when you see as many movies as I do, you kind of get used to seeing a lot of those movies alone. So it was actually pretty refreshing to get to see three movies with a whole other real human being next to me. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to review each of the three films that I saw that day. I will be keeping all of those reviews spoiler free, so you should be fine listening all the way through. But I do have timestamps to indicate when I'll be talking about each film in case you want to skip one or two of them. Or, you know, I mean, I guess all three if you want. But before we get to the reviews, I do have a request for you, the listener. Um, I can only assume that if you are choosing to listen to me talk to myself, you've either accidentally clicked the wrong link or hopefully you genuinely enjoy listening to what I have to say. So whether it's, you know, the first situation or the second, my ask is that if you like me or the show or you just like acts of random kindness, please, please, please leave a five star review or rating of this show in Apple Podcasts. It takes like three minutes at most, and it really does help a ton because there are literally thousands of movie podcasts and a single rating goes a long way for standing out. If you're not listening in Apple Podcasts, you can either go into that app right now or just subscribe or like or whatever you do in your podcatcher of choice. And I mean, again, it's a super easy way to support the show, so I would really appreciate it. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk about the first film of my Sunday marathon, Just Mercy. They convicted an innocent man. I was always taught to fight for the people who need the help the most. You don't know what it is down here. They ain't got to have no evidence. How many of you all were with Walter that morning? You ain't quitting, is you? No, sir. We all with you. My son growing up knowing his mom stopped doing what was right just because she was scared. I think we can build a case strong enough to bring him home. And I'm not gonna stop until I've done that. Let's get to work. is still meaningful and I'm gonna do everything possible to keep them from taking it. 
So if you're going to take away just a single thing from this episode, it should be that you should absolutely see Just Mercy. This movie is phenomenal. For those of you who don't know, in Just Mercy, Michael B. Jordan plays Brian Stevenson. He's a recent graduate from Harvard Law who moves to Alabama to provide legal services to individuals on death row. There he soon meets Walter McMillan, played by Jamie Foxx, a man who was framed for a murder that he just clearly did not commit. And the film that follows is a really powerful and moving story about individuals who are trying to make a difference in a system that has been specifically crafted to target people of color, often in spite of justice and truth. This film is written by Andrew Lanham and Destin Daniel Creighton, who also directed. And if you don't know who Creighton is, he is the director of the indie hit Short Term 12, and he will be directing Marvel's Shang-Chi movie in 2021. So if you haven't heard of him yet, you definitely will. So anybody who knows me even a little bit knows that I love Michael B. Jordan. He is one of, if not just straight up, my favorite actors. I think he always brings an innate vulnerability to every role he's in, and it makes it really easy to empathize with his character. Like even when he's beefed up as Killmonger in Black Panther, he has this softer emotional side to him, and I think his performances really play to that side of his performance. And it doesn't hurt that he cries in literally every single one of his roles. I mean, find me a role where Michael B. Jordan doesn't cry. I bet you can't, because they don't exist. But anyways, as Brian Stevenson, he's fantastic. He doesn't get a lot of the explosive capital A acting, but there's this frustration and strain that comes with having to stand tall in the face of racism and prejudice, and it's portrayed perfectly in the way that Jordan holds his face. You can tell his character is always almost on the edge of exploding and yelling and just losing it, which is exactly what his opposition wants, and it's something that he just can't do. Because of that, I think his performance is really understated, and it's quite excellent. And almost all of that can be said also about Jamie Foxx's performance, though he's definitely given a lot more to do that would look good in something like an Oscar for your consideration montage. I mean, the thing that impresses me about Jamie Foxx is that he's able to switch from being an utter asshole of a character in something like Baby Driver to this gentle family man like he is here in Just Mercy. And both of those performances, they feel authentic and they feel true and believable. Here, he perfectly sells the desperation and the brokenness that has to accompany being on death row for a crime that you didn't commit. And his performance really crescendos in the final moments of the film, and those final moments are so powerful and emotional and gut-wrenching. I mean, I think this performance is easily one of the best supporting actor performances of the year. I haven't seen Two Popes, so I can't comment on whether he's better than Anthony Hopkins, but I would absolutely swap him out for either of the two nominated actors in The Irishman. But something that should be said is that, like a lot of films that deal with the racial biases in our society, Just Mercy isn't always the easiest film to watch. Um, the miniseries on Netflix, When They See Us, comes to mind when I think about films that, or, you know, films or experiences that are difficult to watch, but absolutely necessary. And I mean, there are moments that are enraging and sickening in the film, and there is one moment that is genuinely one of the most harrowing things that I've seen on film. And not because of blood or gore or anything, but just because of the act that is being shown is so uncomfortable and unnerving um, from just a humanity perspective. 
But between those moments, the film also has moments of genuine beauty and humanity. And I mean, you can look no farther than Stevenson himself. He's an amazingly generous person through and through, and he's an absolute inspiration. This film in some ways feels like a call to action, and it makes me want to use my life to help those less fortunate than me. But not just Stevenson is like that. There are other characters that are pushed to challenge the system, and when they do, it is genuinely touching. And it reminds you of people's capacity for kindness and sympathy. Even, you know, admittedly, even if it isn't the most subtle thing in the film. So something else I want to touch on, and I mean, depending on how you look at it, it's either the most interesting or the most frustrating part of Just Mercy. And that's that it very much has an agenda, and it does take a clear stance on the death penalty. Which is admittedly, it's a very complicated topic. I mean, watching the film, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out which side of the issue the film is on. And you can probably pretty easily tell just from the title, Just Mercy, what their opinion is on the death penalty. And I will admit that, you know, one could argue that it is a bit dangerous to form your opinions on complex political issues from a film that likely does fictionalize portions of a true story. But regardless, I think what this film does an excellent job at is highlighting the reality of what the death penalty means and the massive flaws in our justice system. And I will say, as someone who leaned closer towards being in favor of the death penalty than being against it prior to this film, I can firmly say that this film has now made me against it. And regardless of whether you think that's appropriate or not, I think the ability for a film to have that kind of impact speaks volumes to its quality. So, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that I'm a huge fan of Just Mercy. I also really like the title. It's got that goodwill hunting thing where you can read it in different ways, you know? I don't know if it's, is you know, is it Just Mercy as in mercy that is just, or is it Just Mercy as in only mercy? I think either way can work for the film, but I'm pretty sure it is that first one. But anyways, I guess if I had to give this film some criticisms, I'd say that the filmmaking is straightforward. Um... The film uses the emotion of the story to do the heavy lifting, to get you invested. And in that regard, the film can occasionally feel rote and samey, especially in a crowded genre of legal dramas. I mean, you get what you expect. It's a legal drama, and it doesn't do a whole lot to distinguish itself from that genre. It's just a really excellent version of what it is. The other thing I'll say is that the film could also benefit from a more captivating score. As it is now, the score is fine. It just isn't as emotionally overwhelming as some of the moments on screen indicate. But regardless of that, I think Just Mercy takes its place among many of the other great legal dramas. It offers an emotional and compelling look at this one particular case about a person on death row, and it really highlights the best and worst of humanity. I genuinely feel like this is required viewing for anyone who wants to have a job in civil service, and I would highly recommend it to anyone. So for that reason, I'm giving Just Mercy a 10 out of 10. And since this was only released in like three theaters in 2019, I always hate when they do that, by the way. Um, I'm going to count this as a 2020 release for myself personally, and I am very confident that this will be on my top 10 list at the end of the year. So definitely go see this if you still have the chance.
So after that heavy morning, the next film that I saw is the equally as effective drama about important social issues. That's right. Movie number two was Bad Boys for Life. On, man, you can get that buffed out. No, you can get that buffed out. Remember, knock and talk. Yeah, knock, knock. Mighty PD, get down. What the hell happened to knock and talk? Hands behind your head right now. I got this. I'm gonna penetrate this man's soul with my heart. What? Watch and learn. Sir, I realize that you're scared. You know, sometimes fear. How deep you think you got in his soul? I'm done, Mike. I'm retiring. Uh-oh, here we go again. You want your legacy to be muscle shirts and body counts? Look at this mess, it's carnage. I didn't do all this. You didn't shoot anybody? Well, come on, Captain, you know I shot some people. Yeah. Fuck me! Fuck, fuck, fuck! In these streets, I never trusted anybody but me. I'm asking you, man. Bad boys. One last time. One last time. All right, obviously, I'm kidding. You know, this movie is not about important social issues. This movie is an insane, dumb, buddy cop action film. It's the third film in the Bad Boys franchise, which I guess is a franchise. The first two were released in 1995 and 2003, which is crazy. There was an eight-year gap between them didn't think that. I, f- I always felt that they were very close to each other. But anyways, they were both directed by Michael Bay. This time for the third entry, Bay is not back. Instead, it's Bilal Fallah and Adil El Arbi, two Belgian men. Um, they direct a screenplay by Chris Bremner, Peter Craig, and Joe Carnahan. But even though Bay is not back, both Will Smith and Martin Lawrence are back as the cop duo Mike Lowry and Marcus Burnett who team up to take down the vicious leader of a Miami drug cartel. The newly created elite team ammo of the Miami Police Department, along with Mike and Marcus, go up against the ruthless Armando Armas. So candidly, I just read that plot synopsis from Google because uh, (laughs) this movie is a lot. I don't really know what's going on most of the time, and I'll admit, some of that is on me. I haven't seen Bad Boys 2 and I've only seen the first one once, so I'm not exactly what you would consider a bad boys groupie. But I liked this movie, you know, for what it was. And what it is, is either a really dumb movie for really dumb people, or a dumb movie for smart people who don't mind indulging in some silly action comedy fare. I'd like to think I'm in the latter crowd, but you know, it's entirely possible that I'm in the former. Maybe somebody will let me know after this review. So yeah, this movie is loud, it's raucous, it's crass, it is relentlessly on. Um, There's very little time given to explaining much of anything, but I'm presuming that's not really why audience members go to see a Bad Boys movie, is it? Like, do we really care about the plot of these films? These are of course rhetorical questions because I'm completely alone in a room all by myself, but you get the idea. I think the best part of this movie is that Martin Lawrence and Will Smith are clearly having a blast and it's fun to see them having fun. There's some really fun action sequences and there's some really funny moments. 
Um, it's also stupid impressive that Will Smith is 51 years old and he's still jumping through buildings and stuff. <laughs> I will say, in comparison, Lawrence has, you know, he's seen some better days. I genuinely thought that he was significantly older than Will Smith until I looked it up in preparation for this. He's 54, Will Smith is 51. And it does not feel like they are on the same level of physical fitness whatsoever. <laughs> but he's the comedy guy, and he brings a lot of comedic beats to the whole affair. So I, I was never bored watching this movie, is what I'll say. But I just wasn't ever all that impressed either. I think everything that is always in these films that revive a long dormant franchise is squarely found in this film which is why the praise for this film is fairly baffling to me. I, I've seen a lot of praise for this film on film Twitter and online or whatever. I know I did just spend a few minutes talking positively about the film, but I, I don't think I would call this film good. At best, it's competent and the action is entertaining and that's good. But anything that resembles character motivations, they change like the tides. There's a bunch of these younger characters that are on this new team. And these young characters, I mean, they exist. Um, <laughs> I can't really tell you more than that. I will say one of them is just this huge person played by Alexander Ludwig. And I actually really like that actor. And I would have liked to see more of him. But the other two are this guy from Riverdale. He's like just a classic dick that always points out how old Will Smith is. And then Gabriela Montez from High School Musical. She's like a raid specialist and has... I don't know, no personality. I don't know. Regardless, the characters are just the vessels for action. And again, I'll admit that that action is cool. I'm, I'm not taking that away from the film, but it's just nonstop. And at the end of the movie, it all feels a little purposeless. Um, there's also more slow-mo scenes in this than a Zack Snyder film. And there's more time-lapse shots in this film than, I don't know, Planet Earth. And also, if you've seen Gemini Man, it's that. Basically, if you've seen Gemini Man and you've seen this movie, you'll know what I mean. You don't need to see both. But I don't want to dump on this movie too hard. I, it's a solid, dumb action movie. It's about as entertaining as your average Fast and Furious movie. So use that as your gauge. Those get good reviews all the time. And I will say, from what I've seen in clips online and whatnot, this film is also significantly less homophobic, it's less male gazy, and it's less insensitive with some of its humor than the previous films. So there is that. The film isn't really offensive with its humor. And that's probably, honestly, because Michael Bay isn't at the helm. Um, <laughs> oh, but there is one small cameo that I do want to mention because it's hilarious. So if you want to avoid hearing about that, just fast forward like 30 seconds real quick. Okay. Michael Bay does make a cameo in this film. Uh, he has roughly 20 seconds of screen time, and the entire time he's on screen, he's just like reading a speech or whatever. But the entire time he's on screen, the camera is just viciously spinning around him in that classic spinning shot style that Bay loves so much. And it's probably the funniest bit in the film. I really loved that part. And it was kind of this, it was kind of this friendly jab at Michael Bay. So it was it was pretty funny. Anyways. I enjoyed Bad Boys for Life well enough. And honestly, well enough for a January release. Let's remember, we're still in January. This is supposed to be where movies go to die. Um, you know, for a January release, well enough isn't half bad. So I'm giving Bad Boys for Life a 6 out of 10. 
And the final film that I capped off my movie marathon with was Jumanji The Next Level. You still talking to your friends? It's complicated. Many a tear has to fall. When we first got together, but it's all we were different people in the game. Grandpa Eddie? Anthony? This is uh, uh, Martha and, and Bethany. This is Mrs. Grandpa. Nice to meet you. Morning. Sorry to barge in on you. Uh, you're not barging. He's barging. Milo Walker. <laughs> Did you guys see Spencer? I think he went back in. We gotta go get him. Are you out of your mind? We haven't even picked our guys yet. Oh, he's just trying to call it. You hear something? Huh? Spencer. Huh? What? Who are you? Oh my god. You're Spencer's grandfather. Are we in Florida? And you? My little walker. Did I die and turn into some kind of a small, muscular boy scout? Are we dead? Bethany? Sure feels good now. Look at my thighs. Look at your thighs. Look at my thighs. Okay, we have some issues here. The game is busted. Who's the game? I'm not it. I don't want to be it. Welcome to Jumanji. You know, I didn't plan this, but I want to point out that I think it's pretty awesome that all three of the wide releases that I was able to see are led by actors of color. I think that's really exciting to see, especially given how the Oscar nominations turned out and all that crap. So I was pretty happy when I realized that. But anyways, um, Jumanji The Next Level. It is the inevitable sequel to the surprise hit of 2017. That was Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle, which was the reboot quill of the 1995 film Jumanji starring Robin Williams. Take a shot every time I say Jumanji. At the time of the first sequel, I remember that nobody thought that the Williams film needed a sequel. But then that film came out, and it was actually surprisingly entertaining, and it made a poop load of money. And just to quantify what a poop load of money is, it is $962.1 million. That is crazy. That is the most money from a non-Spider-Man film that Sony has ever made. So obviously, they're going to make a sequel to the sequel. And everyone is back. Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Karen Gillian, Jack Black. They are the main four that are returning. This film is written by Jeff Pinkner, Scott Rosenberg, and Jake Kasdan, who also returns to direct. So the main question, did we really need a sequel to the Jumanji sequel that nobody asked for? I mean, no, not really. That story was completely wrapped up. But... Is it still fun to see comedic actors impersonate different characters and play with all these video game tropes? Yeah, yeah it is. Of course it is. And that's what this film is. It is everything that I loved about the first film, and not much else, honestly. <laughs> I mean, Danny DeVito is in it, so that's a plus. And there are some twists and change-ups to the roster, which if you've seen a trailer, essentially all of them are given away, so that's a little annoying. But those changes, they are a ton of fun. The actors are clearly still having a good time doing the film, 
And like in Bad Boys for Life, it's always enjoyable to watch talented and good-looking people having fun. So the film at a basic level has that enjoyability to it. I think the standouts from the cast are definitely Kevin Hart and Jack Black. Hart nails his character, and I will just leave it at that to avoid spoilers. And Jack Black gets to shine with some with some really funny self-deprecating humor. There is a line that he says that I've already repeated a whole bunch of times. He says, all bodies are beautiful, even this one. And just that level of self-deprecation, I think, is really funny. But yeah, I mean, everything else is basically the exact same. The kids, they go into the game. The characters have to complete three levels, which, what do you know, is conveniently the same number of acts that are in a traditional screenplay. Wow. Really clever there, right? There's... (laughs) There's action and adventure and comedy. There's a forgettable villain. Uh, There's contrived beef between Kevin Hart's character and Dwayne Johnson's character because that's always fun to see them go toe to toe. And I mean, there's, you know, the bare minimum of service given to what counts as like a message about friendship or whatever. I could definitely go into more negatives. Here's a couple. You know, the internal logic of the film is really flimsy. Sometimes the video game characters act like real people, and then other times they act like video game characters. So that's pretty inconsistent. Speaking of inconsistent, the special effects are really hit or miss. Sometimes it looks great. Other times it looks pretty bad. I think some of the humor can be pretty juvenile. And there's also a scene with a bunch of ostriches. And after watching the scene, I'm pretty convinced that no one working on the Jumanji film has ever seen an ostrich because ostriches don't look like how they do in this movie. It's a really weird nitpick, I know, but like, come on, people, let's let's make our CGI ostriches look like ostriches. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if any of the Jumanji films are particularly good, but these characters are fun to watch. You know, this world is fun to be in. There's an innate creativity to it. And maybe part of me is also just reacting to seeing animals on screen. I always love just seeing random ass animals on screen. So that's something that really touches on me personally. But the thing that I will say is that both times that I've seen the Jumanji films in theaters, I've had a blast. And that's all I'm really looking for with these types of blockbuster films. You know, it's solid, crowd-pleasing entertainment which I think has to be written on a giant gold plaque in Dwayne Johnson's mansion, crowd-pleasing entertainment, because seriously, that guy is the king of making crowd-pleasing entertainment that blurs the line between good and bad. But in a way, I think Jumanji is actually a perfect franchise for these types of movies that are trying to hit all four quadrants. It has big stars attached, and it is a somewhat well-known IP but it isn't burdened by the expectations and the mythos of franchises like Star Wars and Marvel. So because of that, there's almost like a lower expectation for them so they can be better without having to worry about disappointing fans on some fundamental level. And because of that, I can see them churning more and more of these out, especially because this one has already made $714.1 million. And honestly, If they keep doing that, if they keep churning these things out, fine by me. Keep them coming. Keep their relative quality at a decent level and I'll be there. Even though, you know, like this one, it'll probably be four weeks after release. I never felt like I had to see this movie. It was just one of those movies that I was going to inevitably see and it happened to be this weekend. But at the end, I had a great time and I'm giving Jumanji the next level a 7 out of 10.
And with that, this has been my movie marathon episode reviewing Just Mercy, Bad Boys for Life, and Jumanji The Next Level. If you've made it this far, thank you so much for listening to me. Um, The majority of future episodes will definitely be with guests. That is much easier and much more fun, and I think there's a lot better conversations to be had with actual people. But I am hoping to occasionally do these solo episodes to get more content and more reviews for films out there, and to also let people know about films that I genuinely loved, like Just Mercy. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin MacLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. If you've liked or hated or had complete indifference on the format of the solo episode, let me know. You can reach out to me on Twitter at MovieMaripod or on Facebook at facebook.com slash MovieMaripod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at moviemarathoners.podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by my friends Ian Anderson and Johnny Kemps for a bit of a Boston Marathon training check-in and then also an Oscars prediction contest. So that should be a really fun episode. We have a wide range in the level of knowledge that we have for Oscars, so it should make predicting these things pretty fun. So definitely check that one out. Until then, bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.